0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. To you, Lord I'm reading from Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Please have a seat. To be honest, uh, I don't know if you've ever touched anyone famous. I've never actually been much of a groupie or whatever the correct term is, but I do have two memories of touching somebody famous. One was way, way back, um, there was a very famous Russian male dancer called Rudolf Nureyev, and a friend of I and I went to see him dance at the Royal Court Drury Lane in London, and I remember afterwards she was much more kind of savvy about these kind of things, so she told me that we had to go around to the back door, so we rushed around to the back door and stood in this crowd of people until he came out and then ran and got, touched his car. Um, that was about as exciting. <laughs> you know, that was it. But I actually have touched somebody famous, more famous as hand, well, in my view. Uh, my father used to be a pastor in the city of London, and our church was uh, really in the heart of things. And occasionally, very unusual people would pop by for strange City of London kind of ceremonies. And one day, I have no reason why, the Queen Mother came. And um, so they were all in this room, and I saw my mom in there. And I was about 16, I guess, and I'd just come in from school, and um, I decided to try and get in to the room. So I I kind of weaved my way in and got to stand beside my mom and this very distraught... Um, lady-in-waiting came rushing up to me because she realized I didn't have any gloves on. Of course I didn't have any gloves. I'd just come from school. I mean, what did she think? But um, apparently you're only meant to s- shake the Queen Mother's hands if you've got gloves on. So um, anyway, the Queen Mother was much too much of a lady to complain about that. I shoved out my mitt and uh, she shook it without s- screaming with horror. Uh, so, so there you go. That's my, my only real claim to fame in life. But um, So today, in the Gospel reading, the story we've just heard, there were a couple of people who wanted to get close enough to touch Jesus. And the first, Jairus, does so in a manner which is kind of reminiscent of last week's story. Now, we've been going gradually through the book of Mark, and last week, uh, by virtue of virtual technology, I preached on the demoniac. And if you didn't happen to be in church, because nobody was, uh, it is actually uh, posted Um, But the demoniac in the story last week came rushing towards Jesus and knelt at his feet. And that's how Jairus starts the story now. So we're going to take a moment, first of all, to look at Jairus, look at this lady. And then we're going to look at the rest of the crowd that day and then take a moment to look at ourselves. So first of all, when we think about the demoniac from last week, he came down and he knelt at Jesus' feet and Jesus healed him and then sent him with a task to the Decapolis. And I urged you to think about your own lives and where you are resisting Jesus and where you want to be conditioned as you head into this new year. And now as Jairus comes, he's very different to the demoniac. The demoniac was crazy. He was out of his head. He was naked. He'd been cutting himself. He had kind of loose chains dangling off him. Jairus is a completely different kettle of fish. He's the leader of the synagogue. He's a highly respected local citizen. He's a bit of an A-li- A sort of list celeb. He's very highly respected. There is no way that Jairus normally spends his life running around kneeling at other people's feet. But here he comes because not only was he the leader of the synagogue, but he was a father and a desperate father, a desperate father whose daughter was desperately ill. And so his focus on Jesus is quite honed. It's absolutely precise. He knows where he wants to get to. He knows that he wants Jesus' attention, and he is determined to get it. His sense of anticipation and hope must have grown after he had come and knelt at Jesus' feet, because Jesus does turn and begin to go with him. And so you can almost imagine him anxiously kind of shepherding Jesus as quickly as possible as was dignified towards his house. But Jairus was not the only focused person in the crowd that day. The woman in the crowd also looks for healing. She doesn't have the confidence or the social standing to be able to get to him directly. The crowd isn't going to part for her like they do for Jairus. And so she slips up behind Jesus reaching out just to touch the hem of his garment, planning on being inconspicuous, which befits a woman who's been rejected by society as unclean for a dozen years. What a roller coaster of emotions for both of those people that day. First of all, Jairus, who I should think is sleep-deprived and just desperately anxious with the immediacy of his daughter's illness. And the lady with the hemorrhage, who was just weary after 12 years of ill health, looking everywhere for a solution. So with both of these people, what does Jesus do? Well, he starts off by going out with Jairus, following this man who's asked him to go with him. But then his contagious holiness heals a woman who touches him, a bit like just touching a live wire. She touches him with faith and is healed. I love the way Jesus then actually stops and turns and to this outcast lady. He takes the time to ensure that everybody knows that she is now healed. As we read in that psalm, he lifts up the poor. He makes sure that she is no longer a social outcast, even as she was because of her bleeding. And so he does his, takes the next steps of reestablishing her socially. And by paying attention to this lady who has nothing, the little girl dies. And so then Jesus moves on, and he goes with Jesus, and he raises the girl to life. And she's only one of three people who Jesus does that for. He does it for her. And then there's another story with a widow's son in the town of Nain, and then his friend Lazarus. Those are the only three people that Jesus lingers and raises from the dead. And so that day ends with one healed little girl and one healed older woman, two people. And for both of these people, Jesus had responded to their faith. They both came to him with humble and hopeful hearts. They trust him. They ask him. They focus on him as they bring their broken bodies and ask for healing. They desperately want something, and they know he can give it. And Jesus, in his own time, at his own pace, in his own way, brings healing to both of them. For the lady with the bleeding, perhaps he didn't deliberately set out to heal her, but the combination of her faith and his willingness to allow himself to be contagiously holy were enough. For the child, he goes and spends time with the family, and he converses with them, and he speaks to them, and he helps them to understand. And for both of these two people, the day ended with extraordinary, exuberant hope and delight, a whole joyful, better-than-ever imagined outcome, and partying must have happened all over town that night. This was a remarkable, life-changing, epic day. But let's Set them aside for a moment and just take a couple of minutes to look at the rest of the crowd. What about all the other people? It says there was a large crowd pushing around, and uh, Jesus sometimes attracted crowds of thousands as we hear in other stories in the Gospels. But maybe it was one or two hundred, I don't know. But I was looking up the statistics the other day, and apparently at any one time, 45% of the American population have at least one chronic disease. Conditions including arthritis, asthma, cancer, cardiovascular disease, depression, diabetes. So perhaps half the crowd were unwell in some way. Perhaps more of the crowd were anxious about their children or their jobs or things that were happening in their lives. Perhaps all of them Every single one of them had something which they would have liked Jesus to touch that day. And so let's think for a moment about what Jesus' options were on that particular day. Okay, perhaps that morning he could have got up and said, all right, uh, I'm feeling really kind of holy today, so everybody within five miles is going to get healed just just like that before breakfast. Or perhaps he could have um, just walked like this, And everybody he touched could have been healed. Or perhaps, I don't know, he could have just turned to the crowd and said, okay, these two are healed, what about the rest of you? Jesus could have had any of those options available to him. He could have just made everything okay for everybody all at once. But there's no evidence that anybody else in the crowd asked for healing that day. There's also no evidence in the scriptures of Jesus ignoring or refusing to heal people who came and asked for healing. But there is also no evidence of Jesus unilaterally deciding on who needs to be healed. Throughout the Gospels, he engages with people. He talks with them about what they most need and want, and he responds to them on an individual basis. Healing is often not actually Jesus' first objective when he connects with people. And so what about us? Here we are all sitting in here, this room, and all of us have got things on our minds and hearts, things, longings and pains and discomforts and perhaps chronic illnesses. And we get to engage not physically by touching Jesus, but we get to engage with the Holy Spirit. And that can be a very delightful but also somewhat frustrating experience at times. Who hasn't prayed for something and not received it? even as I am confident that I have prayed many, many prayers where I have seen clear answers, there are others which as yet have gone unanswered, at least in a way that I can see and understand. And I have come to be okay with that, because the mystery of Jesus is that his perspective is not mine. And at the end of the day, I have to trust that he's listening to me, Trust that he's listening and trust that I will fully know one day way more than I know now. There is a point which we can get to where we are okay with trusting Jesus as to when he will intervene and when he won't. But we should still ask. We can be okay with the fact that Jesus won't overwhelm our free will or that of others. And that's critical to know that he won't because it means that someone we love may be hurt by an action of somebody else somebody who's not paying attention to the voice of our father bad things do happen to good people and the holy spirit does not necessarily that does not necessarily mean that the holy spirit is silent or passive or inactive And for my own life, when I've been aware of some things which have happened which shouldn't have happened, I have been fully reassured by the confidence that I know that the Holy Spirit was interacting with people who did me harm. And I continue to be aware that my free will sometimes leads me to make choices and decisions that harm or hurt other people. Are we okay with accepting that Jesus' perspective may also be different from ours? that he always has a much bigger picture that we just don't see, that perhaps when we ask for A, he knows that B is better for us or for our neighbor, or that he might just want us to come to a point where we have a different response in our hearts. Are we okay with sometimes not seeing what Jesus is doing when we ask for something and he seems absent? But he is not. He is not. It may just be beyond our current understanding or point of perspective. Jesus is going to come back, and until that point, we live in a partially healed world. We live in a time when people turn their back on Jesus daily, when we all make negative choices that impact others, when we hurt each other with deliberate callousness. It's not just them that cause the problems I do, too, with the associated ripple affection of my actions and words. So until he comes back, he calls on us to trust the Holy Spirit, to know that we are loved. He calls on us to pray and to ask on behalf of other people, as Jairus did for his daughter. He calls us to hone our focus onto the one who heals, to reach out to touch him, to trust him, to ask for his perspective, to ask for our understanding to be enlarged, to ask for him to help us to focus. In a few minutes, we're going to be baptizing Charlie. And as we're praying for him today, we're going to be praying that he will learn that his focus is always on Jesus. We want to pray for him that when adversity strikes, he will know that he can reach out to touch him and that he can listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit in his life. He can, we want him to know that there is a bigger picture than his own picture We want him to pray that there will be a time when he comes in confidence to make his own adult profession of faith. And we want to be good examples to him as he grows up and to all the children in our community, showing them that we trust Jesus, that we kneel before him, that we bring the things that break our hearts and plague our bodies, our hopes, our dreams, our longings. I love this quote from the author of The Little Prince, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the immensity of the sea. For Charlie, we don't want to teach him just behaviors. We want to teach him how to long for Jesus. We don't want him to be one of the crowd. We want him to be one of the people who will run and kneel at Jesus' feet and touch the hem of the gardens. We want him to be someone who engages with Jesus who intentionally commits himself to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We all learn by example. And so the charge to each one of us, to friends and family, to the community here, for Charlie and for all the others, can we model that? Can we live like that? Can we live the way we long for Charlie to live? Will we kneel at the feet of Jesus bringing our pride and ambition and self-seeking to kneel before Jesus, asking him to lead us and direct us? Will we touch him, reaching out to Jesus as an act of the will, a decision to engage that might come through truly praying, not just talking about praying, or engaging with other people, or being articulate about what we believe, letting it impact those around us? And we all have an opportunity for that at the moment through Alpha to have the chance to just Listen to stories and to be clear about the one that we long for. Will we focus on Jesus, asking him to bring healing and asking the Holy Spirit to teach us daily to be more like him? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are always attentive to our words and our actions. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you work and lead and teach and guide us. We thank you that though you have a much bigger perspective than we do, you show us what we need to know often, and sometimes you hold that information for us until we are big enough, old enough, wise enough to understand. Will you guide each one of us? Will you touch those places of longing in our own hearts? Will you touch our bodies, our weariness, our aches and pains? And will you help us, Holy Spirit, to listen to your voice as you speak to us and you teach us how to long and to focus on Jesus? Amen.